Good morning, guys, wonderful people. Welcome to another episode of Logos on Thanos, where we give focus to expressing the life of the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the art. The Word of God is alive. 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 6 says, Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Let today be that day, that day that you give thanks unto the Lord and you call upon his name. Let today be the day you make known his deeds among all the people. Let today be that day that you sing unto him and sing psalms unto him. Talk of all his wondrous works today and give him thanks. If it's above you, then it deserves your respect and submission. Today we continue our study in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. And in this study, we are looking at the warrior's identity. And we are looking at the three declarations God made concerning man. If you're joining us for the first time, then you would have missed out on our first declaration because we've already considered that one. But nonetheless, you can still hear that if you're willing to go back and listen to the previous episodes. We began several months ago. Today, we are looking at the second declaration God made concerning man. And we are now opening up the fourth package of this declaration. This declaration has five parts. And so we are now looking at the fourth part of this declaration. This second declaration is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. This is God's second declaration concerning man. And we are contemplating today the fourth part of this declaration, which is, and subdue it. The first part of this declaration is, God said, be fruitful. That's part one, part two, and multiply, part three, and replenish the earth, part four, and subdue it. And so we're looking at this section here that deals with and subdue it. What does it mean to subdue the earth? What did God mean when he said to man, subdue the earth? Did he mean to violate the earth? Did he mean to ravage it and lay it waste? Did he mean that man should literally bring it down to nothing? We want to understand what God means when he says to man, subdue the earth. And so to do that, we turn our attention to looking at and analyzing this word. Because we want to gain an understanding of what, means, what it means to subdue as it is used here. To gain this understanding, we analyze the Hebrew word through the letters used to form this word. And we do word studies because we want to get to the root matter of what is being declared here. And we see this as important because it will reveal to us what it is that we are supposed to be doing on this earth. 
because God didn't just tell us who we are. He tell us what we are supposed to do. And so we are on this journey here now, trying to find out what is that we are supposed to be doing. We have already uncovered and unveiled what we're supposed to do in the first three parts of this decoration. And now we're adding to these three by looking at the fourth. The Hebrew word used here, and that is translated, and subdue it, is the, is the word vekibshua. Vekibshua. And this is a, a word where you have a prefix and a suffix. The root word here is kavash. And kavash is the root word, and that's the word we're going to really be analyzing because it is the Hebrew word for subdue. When you look at this phrase, and subdue it, that's three words. And here in the Hebrew, it's one word because the word kavash has a prefix to it and a suffix. The prefix here is the, uh, is the um, word va, ve, and ve is the vav with a shiva, and that is the word and it, it is used you know as a conjunction the, the the letter vav is used as a conjunction and the, the suffix here is the word he it is spelled with a hey a yud and an aleph and those two words are are now placed onto kavash so it's now pronounced the kivshua and so that's the word that is that appears there in the text and so we've got to go to the root word which is the word kavash, which is the word that is translated subdue, because the and is a prefix and the it is a suffix, because the word e is a, it means it. All right, so we take off the prefix and the suffix and get to the root word, which is the word kavash. Now, the word kavash is spelled with a kaf, a bait, and a shin. Now, the bait, you notice, I pron it pron it's pronounced like a v, so it's kavash. Because that bait that is used in that word doesn't have a dagesh in it. That is a dot in the middle of the letter. Like a full stop in the middle of the letter. Now when that doesn't appear, it is pronounced with what is called a fricative pronunciation. And so it's pronounced as a V. Now the, there are two pronunciations that you'll encounter in the Hebrew alphabet. The fricative and the explosive. There are some letters that has a fricative pronunciation and an explosive pronunciation. What that means is basically to pronounce these letters, for example, the bait, to pronounce B or to sound the B, you, you, you literally fold your lips and it, it comes out as like, you're, you're like, you're like an explosion. So you say B. So you fold your lips and it goes up like, like something exploding, like you're exploding that sound out your list. Well, the fricative pronunciation is where the top row, your top row teeth goes onto your bottom lip and you, you, you pronounce that sound through, your, through your, your, your teeth resting on your bottom lips. So you say, f so you get that v or that f sound. All right, so another example is the pay. The pay has a fricative and an explosive pronunciation. So you get the p, that's the explosive pronunciation, and you get the f, which is an f sound, and that is the fricative pronunciation. So in this case, it's the beta, and so it, the, the explosive is b, and the fricative is the f. So as it is using this word, it doesn't have a dagesh, so it gives a fricative pronunciation. All right, so it's a kaf, the bait, and the shin. Now we will analyze each of these letters to gain a better understanding of what they mean and what they communicate to us. We will then put them back together to see what we can learn about the word kavash. All right, so that's what we'll be doing, and we have been doing this for 
you know, all the letters, all the words that we have encountered in this study, because we understand the, 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 the tremendous value there is in understanding these words, because understanding a statement begins with you understanding the words in that statement. However, understanding an Hebrew statement begins with you understanding the words in that statement and also the letters in those words in that statement. Because that is how you're going to unfold the, the very intricate and deeper message of this statement. So we begin our analysis in looking at the calf. Because that's the first letter of the word kavash. The calf. We know the Hebrew language is a pictogram language. And it, 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 it's originally a language of pictures, objects, pictures of objects. And so it's originally written using pictograms. It has evolved into the script form that is used today. And there's also a cursive version that is used in everyday correspondence. We connect back to these pictograms to gain a better understanding of the meaning of the letters. And so let's look at the pictogram of the calf. The pictogram of the calf is the open palm of a hand. So if you open the palm of your hand with your fingers close together, including your thumb, and hold it out to your side, then that is basically the pictogram of the calf, the open palm of the hand. Now, it, 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 is, it is shaped like a copped hand, like I've said before in previous episodes. The, the, the letter itself is shaped like a copped hand, like you cup your hand around something. But the, the, the pictogram, the original pictogram, is that of the open palm of the hand. And so that is the pictogram of the calf. The word calf itself it means the hollow hand or palm. That's the Hebrew word kaf. The word kaf itself, it means the hollow hand or the palm of the hand. Now, it is used to refer to the paw of an animal or the sole of the feet and even of the, of the bowl of a dish uh, or, or a sling. So, you know, in a sling, you have like a, like a leather material that, is, that you put a stone in. That's like a bowl. So that it, the kaf is used to refer to that as well where you place something inside that sling, you know, so that's like a slingshot. Yeah. So you put a stone inside that, that, that boat that's called that, 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 that uh, leather thing there. It's called, it's called a bowl. All right. So it's referred to as a bowl or, or a dish. Now it's also the handle of a boat, you know, or, or the leaves of a palm tree. So the calf, the word calf is used to refer to these items. Figuratively, the word calf means power. So, that is the word calf. That is the name of the letter calf. Also, the root of this word calf is kafaf, which means to curve. So the word calf comes from the root word kafaf, which means to curve. It is translated bow down, literally means to bow down yourself. That's the root of this word calf. This, my friends, gives the calf the concept of bending oneself representing submission to a greater force or a greater entity, the king of all kings, almighty God. So the calf is about you bending your will to the will of the almighty God. It refers to and represents your submission to the higher authority, the greater authority, the almighty God, the king of kings. The open palm is usually a symbol of a few things. It's usually to symbolize a few things. When you are, for example, walking towards a door and you would notice that, you know, as a man, you see a female approaching the same door, you would literally 
you know, hold out the palm of your hand as you say, please go ahead. That is the open palm of the hand indicating that you're giving allowance. So the open palm of the hand is used to do that. It is also used to cover. So the open palm of the hand is used to cover a cup or to cover something, to hold something within another um, object. So it's used to cover. It's also used to suppress. You open power and it's used to push something down or to suppress something. But also the open palm of the hand is also used to lift up something. It's used to lift up or to, you know, to encourage or to lift up something. So the open palm of the hand is used in these ways. So that's the pictogram of the calf, the open palm of the hand. Now let's look at the shape and the form of the letter calf. The shape and form of a letter will teach us about the letter. An Hebrew letter may be formed from other Hebrew letters, as in the case of the Aleph, which is formed from a Vav and two Yods. This will add to the scope of the letter's definition. When you know the, the various letters that are combined to form this letter, it will add to your understanding and the scope of what this letter means. In the case of the, of the calf, the shape of the calf is said to be like a pipe that is bent in two places. It is sometimes referred to as the valve that is bent in two places. All right. So we have established previously that this bending is representative of submission to a greater force and a greater entity. So that is what we have established already. When we established this, when we looked at the, 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 the Dalets, that bending is, is, is what is always referred to as, you know, submission or, or humility. And here we see again a bending being re represented in the shape of the letter calf. So it's like a pipe that is bent in two, two places. And, 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 you know, imagine the letter N, you know, placed on its side or, or you know, placed on its side. So that is the shape of the calf. So it's like a pipe bent in two places. So this bending is representative of submission to a greater authority. The shape of the calf, when you look at it, it's also like a crown. The crown that is placed on the head. So that is, is, is another understanding of the shape of the calf. It is like a crown. The crown is placed atop the king's head. The head is a seat of your intellect and thought. But the crown rests above your head, beyond thought and greater than intellect. So the crown is symbolic of that which is above thought and above your intellect. But what is greater than your intellect? What is it that is greater than our intellect? Our desire. Our desire is that which is greater than our intellect. Because we have seen, my friends, that our desire lead us to do things that are that are that our rational mind would show to us to be wrong or, or difficult someone may say to another person you can't do that and just by sheer desire the person demonstrate that they can for example for a young man who has been assessed by his teacher who then say to him that you cannot become you know someone great because based on the teacher's own assessment and limited belief in that individual, they would say, well, you can't do that. 
because you do not have the prowess or the ability or the academic prowess to accomplish such a dream. And that becomes a motivating force and the desire with which the student possess. He fights through and persevere to become that which he's told he cannot do. Oh, my friends, simpler way. We have seen many times where persons are told they can't do something. And out of sheer desire, they do it. Young man who could not read, even at the age of 13, at the age of 12, couldn't read. And now, lo and behold, age of 13, he's taken by you know, others who believe in him. And he begins to read at age 13. Because before that, he would have been written off as a hopeless case in academics. But because of sheer desire, this young man is today a doctor. How did that happen? Out of sheer desire. Because, my friend, desire will frustrate the intellect. Desire will confound the intellect because it's greater than our intellect. The power, the crown of desire is so formidable that it has the potential to transcend and transform our intellect. There is another concept that even transcends our desires, and that is pleasure. The power of pleasure. We have seen, my friends, that if a person derives pleasure from something, he will automatically gravitate towards it. He will activate his intellect to devise a strategy to attain it. That's because of the power of desire. He desires it. And so he will formulate a plan to achieve it. And we have seen this many times. Because they see themselves as deriving pleasure from, from that. And so they'll do whatever it takes to attain it. Also, my friends, the calf has two forms. There's the bent calf, like the end sitting on its side. And there's a straight calf, or what is called a final calf, that is like an inverted L. Now, if you invert a capital L, that is what the straight calf or the final calf looks like. These have been described as representing the internal and external aspect of the king. The bent calf, therefore, my friends, represents... The introverted or inverted king who remains isolated within his internalized world. And in this realm of, his, of the inverted king, he may not even want to be king. He may not even want the, the responsibility of, of, of having to provide or deal with the, the, the issues of his kingdom. That is the king in his inverted sense. And that is what a bent calf would be representing. So, he may not even want to be king on an internal level. The straight calf, however, similar to the Vav, represents the king who descends from his high level and reaches down to others in order to communicate with and rule his people. A king that cannot descends from his high level and reach down to others in his kingdom in order to communicate with them and rule them will have trouble in his kingdom. Because those are the two aspects to the king. You can't hide away from your responsibility. Even though 
you may not feel like you want to do it. Even though within, you don't want that level of responsibility. But you must rise to your responsibility and reach down to the others and communicate to them and so lead them well. This, my friends, is what the calf represents in its shape. The calf is also used as a suffix to a root word, adding the, the word you or the pronoun you to the word. You is a second person singular and plural. It is used when speaking directly to a person or to a group of persons. They say, you do that. You do this. You're speaking directly to an individual. So this, my friends, indicate, is indicated in the Hebrew by the final calf. So the final calf literally unfolds to include the person you are speaking to. So a word in Hebrew that ends with the calf, the final calf, that is as a, as, a, as a suffix, it is adding that you to that word. So it is said here, it is said that this final calf, it literally, the calf literally unfolds to include the person you are speaking to in your conversation. This, my friends, is symbolic of the king connecting with his people. The king connecting with his people. Just like the valve is indicative of God connecting with man. This use of the calf represents the fact that the king has appeared to us and we are able to come boldly before his throne to speak with him face to face. This is what the calf represents. And my friends, this is what we are supposed to embrace and understand that all this is made possible by Jesus Christ. That as the Hebrew, as Hebrew says, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Now we can come boldly to the throne before God and speak with him face to face. The calf represents that fact, my friend, that the king of kings has appeared to us. And we are now able to come boldly before his throne, the throne of the living God, and speak with him face to face. Because through Jesus Christ, we are made to be without spot or blemish and are presented before the King of Kings, are presented before the Almighty God, Jehovah, as a spotless lamb. This, my friends, is represented in the calf. We'll learn more about this in our next episode. If it's above you, then it deserves your respect and your submission. This, my friends, is represented in the calf. The calf is symbolic of that high authority, the highest authority. It represents the highest authority in the land. And so he who wears a crown is the highest authority. But it also is representative that there is a higher authority, a higher authority than the king. So the crown not only indicates that he is the highest authority in the land, but it also points to a higher authority, one that is above the king. This is what the calf represents, the crown. So if it is above you, then it deserves your respect and your submission. He who wears the crown deserves your respect and your submission. You give that without question. It's not a matter of your intellect. It's a matter of your respect and submission. 
And so my friends, let's remember that the calf is reminding us that there's a higher authority, there's a higher being that deserves our submission, to whom we must submit and to whom we must give all our respect. Because my friends, this is representative of the living God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. Father, we thank you today that you are and will always be our living God. We hail you today as our sovereign Lord, one who rules and reigns in our lives and in all life. So we lift to you, Father, our praise and our thanksgiving because you are God and you are our God. Father, today, continue to mold us and fashion us after your glory as we seek to always live to show you forth in this earth. We give you thanks. We give you praise because you are our almighty God. Amen. Have a great day now, my friends. And do remember that God loves you and I do too. Shalom.